Dealing with ransomware is something every MSP faces, whether directly or on behalf of a client. MSPs must know what to expect, how to interact with ransomware organizations and individuals, and how to protect their clients. We'll discuss these topics on today's MSP Zone. You're entering the MSP Zone, a podcast for the managed services community, covering news, analysis, and interviews from around the globe. Elevate your MSP game by staying in the MSP Zone. And now, your host, Charles Weaver. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the MSP Zone. Another exciting program today, um, joined by not one, but two guests who are going to be sharing some uh, expertise, thoughts, opinions on the topics of of not just cyber hygiene and MSP preparedness, but, but also actually talking about uh, ransomware, ransomware negotiations, how to deal with ransomware um, actors, and all that fun stuff. So uh, we'll just dive right in, and uh, I'll get to introducing our guests. Um, first, uh, welcome back to the program. Uh, no stranger to the MSP zone, uh, Mr. Aaron Farrigan from Asigra, Executive Vice President. Aaron, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Charles. Glad to be back. And we actually have another guest uh, who uh, Aaron thought would be a, a very good, uh, unique voice that we actually haven't heard um, on the program before. Um, Jason Jason Kotler from Cypher, uh, and we're going to get a little bit of a, a background on what Cypher does. But uh, Jason, I, I don't know if it's uh, appropriate to call you a ransomware negotiator. Is there a better term that you prefer? Sure. We're a ransomware recovery, negotiation, and payment facilitation firm. I like that. Much more official. Perfect. Yeah, so, thanks for having me on the show, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both. Um, let's let's dive right in. Um, so, actually, before I get into the the you know the the goal, Jason, is not to get to the point where MSPs or their clients have to talk to you, but you know maybe you could start us off with just talking a little bit about your firm, what you guys do, but also maybe, you know, maybe a preview of some of the things that you've done uh, in the past, you know, maybe some uh, tantalizing tales of uh, ransomware negotiation hijinks. Sure. So uh, Cypher Corp is based in Toronto and we're a team of uh, cybersecurity intelligence um, operatives. And we deal directly with the negotiation and the payment and the facilitation of getting back customers' critical data. And as everyone knows, uh, people have left their offices, they've left the comfort of their VPN and closed corporate environments, and now we're all working from home. And we are focused on a different virus, not malware, and we are certainly not paying attention as much to cyber hygiene, which is unfortunate. And things will happen, and people will click on phishing emails, and uh, backdoors and ports uh, of, 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 uh, of computer networks will unfortunately be left open. And we've seen these, um, it's been, been quite busy. We founded the firm uh, last October and uh, since everyone's been uh, working from home, there's been a number of attacks. You may have seen some in the news, uh, specifically in Canada, of course, this is going on all the way around the world. Um, you asked me a, a big question, uh, you know, to, give, to share some war stories. 
confidentially, uh, we, we keep all of this information um, about our clients and, and their particular cases and incidents confidential, but I can share some generalities and, and things that are happening where um, I'd say critical um, infrastructure companies, companies that deal with personal data, um, companies that have to have 100% operative uptime are getting hit because the ransomware um, threat actors know that they can lever and they can um, uh, get a get a payment uh, and extort those kind of clients. And people are really, really, really concerned um, about getting back to work. And not that they don't have any other issues with the remote workforce and trying to get everyone just to be productive, um, you know, under these pandemic circumstances. Sure. Um, I can I can share some examples. Um, you know, uh, managed service providers trying to make it easier to access servers that are on site and not having to go into the office may uh, change their VPN ports. They may change their access and cyber criminals, and they are criminals, are looking for those access points um, as well as sending to devices that may be, you know, BYOD or non-company non, uh, issued um, that may not have the same protections or malware uh, installed. Well, I, pr I appreciate that, uh, Jason. We're, and we're going to get back to you on some of the more specific tactical things that that MSPs and their clients might um, might, might learn from a firm such as yours. Uh, Aaron, the, the goal, uh, you stated it before, the goal is not to get to the point where you need someone like Jason or his firm. Why don't we give a little bit of a quick review of of MSP operational preparedness that you know you you and I have kind of fleshed out in some of these conversations about where MSPs can just easily take some of this risk off the table by doing some pretty simple things. I mean, backup is is the obvious one, right? Right, backup is the obvious, but uh, these days the attacks are more sophisticated. So just the old school backup and just having another copy is not enough. You need to have you know, a secure backup, a backup that's short um, and makes it a lot more difficult and if not impossible for the bad guys to delete it. Of course, they want to delete your backup copies because if they they know you can't recover, then guess what? You have to pay the ransom. Um, that's one, one of the, so, and there's a number of techniques to get that done just as it were related to backup. One of them is to use preventative technologies. So to prevent things like attack loops, where these are time delayed, where they drop the ransomware on the network, it could live there for six months, um, and then during that six months, it gets ingested into, backed up into the, you know, the backup repositories, and then it gets recovered, and then you're basically having detonations happen again and again and again because you don't know what day you originally backed it up into your repos. Um, I think another good practice is obviously to implement uh, two-factor or multi-factor. Uh, for authenticating into the various types of applications that you use um, as an MSP and that your customers use to access their environments, uh, especially, you know, working remote these days. Um, but it's not just to access the applications as it relates specifically to backup. It's also to do certain operations in the backup app itself. So like deleting old backups, you need to a for that. Um, changing retention policies, you should enable to FA for those kind of things. And there's, there's others, but so it's not just to get access into the application and shoring up the credentials management. Um, I think soft deletes. So even if people think that they deleted things, they didn't delete things, changing the repository names, making them a moving target, putting in decoys, these kind of things. So there's different tactics that your backup platform should be implementing to make your backup data more secure and more difficult 
to, um, uh, you know, attack. Um, and then for other applications that you have in your technology stack as an MSP, yeah, 2FA, um, you know, separating some applications. So using kind of all in one platforms that have, you know, monitoring and everything else all in the same platform that gets dangerous because if one of them gets, uh, um, you know, uh, compromised, then they get used as a proxy into other types of applications in your tech stack. So, um, you know, thinking about using best of breed and, uh, yeah, those are just kind of, uh, some high levels. I don't know, maybe Jason's got some other ideas of, of, you know, the obvious things that, um, operationally folks should be doing, making sure, I guess you have a, you know, probably a cyber, uh, insurance policy. I imagine Jason, maybe something else. Yeah, exactly. Um, Certainly, um, ransomware and business email compromise have been the biggest um, risk uh, and failures uh, to organizations recently. And you can't you can't um, protect for all for all eventualities. And 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 cyber um, attacks are evolving. Um, guys are innovative. This is this is business. And so you should always keep up with the latest. You should always patch. You should always up, update your servers and your software and have the latest on on all devices. Um, but in the case that, you know, there is a human error or there's a technology failure, uh, God forbid, cyber insurance is a great example of, of closing that gap. And that's what insurance is for. And, and having a proper discussion with a broker and your carrier and understanding um, how um, a cyber attack is, is, is covered and, and what can be claimed. And some policies may not, certainly the standard existing general liability policies are not good enough. You got to have a cyber liability policy and you also have to discuss whether or not the ransom and all the recovery uh, fees and services are, would be covered to um, cover all, so to speak, damages that you may incur. So for, for all of the clients out there, so we refer to, you know, clients as end user customers of the MSPs, uh, chiefly listening to this program. The MSPs probably have heard this message before, right? They listen to to you, Jason, they listen to you, Aaron, they think, all right, I'm doing all these things, all these things, great. I agree with, fine, we're somewhat protected. Uh, the first question to you is, Jason, what is, what guidance, what, not evidence, but what arguments and advice could you give an MSP saying, I get it, but my client does not. They think they're still immune. Nobody cares about their data. What would you respond to that type of pushback? Um, cyber criminals are going to worry about your data because they know that they can extort you with it. And, and they're going as far now um, to actually exfiltrate data and share it and air your dirty laundry and your contracts um, and, and sell it on the dark web you know, you hope that you never want to go there. So if your listeners are listening, um, that's a bad case scenario. You want to be able to always, always remind your teams at all levels of the best practices. And, and that, in, that includes constantly uh, training and, and creating a, a security culture and one that's aware about protecting information. Um, you may not think that your information is important until you lose it until you didn't have it, until it becomes a frustrating chain of events to be able to file your taxes next year because you can't access your CRM or your accounting software. So, you know, from a, from a risk, um, the operational disruption is huge. Financial loss is, is also a potential. But importantly, and I think this is where your users need to think about it, 
you're not the only one in the business ecosystem. You rely on and, and suppliers and partners rely on you for business. And the risk to goodwill, the risk to losing customers, the risk to a competitor who has um, better policies, protocols, and doesn't, um, uh, who hasn't been breached, um, is a risk to, to your business and, and ultimately um, the goodwill and your customers and, and your employees. You, you, you may hold personal information on them as well. Yeah. Um, no, that's really good advice. Uh, Aaron, let, let's, let's shift the conversation to the attack has happened, right? And there are now a couple of things that might be happening simultaneously, concurrently, um, could be legal, uh, could be you know, calls to an insurance carrier, could be internal operational. Is the first technical operational go-to uh, after a suspected or, or confirmed breach getting the data from the backup. I mean, is that, is that kind of your first stop of, okay, before you go to, you know, pass go, get to the backup and, and attempt to restore? I think so. Uh, because if you can get the backup uh, and if you can get a recovery and the recovery is clean, then you don't need to pay the ransom, right? Then, um, you know, but that, that's the first bit. The, the fact that, as Jason alluded to here and, and said that what they're doing, they're, they're taking the data out and they're going to put it out on the dark web. So even if you can recover your data, that's not going to um, help you um, because you know you're you're going to have to pay a ransom to prevent them from putting it out and everybody airing out you know uh, them airing out your dirty laundry. So from a technical perspective, if they don't have a copy of your data, which they're threatening to put out on the world and all you know the universe to see it, your dirty laundry, as it were then yes, the backup is the first place. If all they're doing is saying we've encrypted it and we're not going to give it back to you um, until you pay us, if you can get a recovery that... Uh, um, just going back for a second, I think there's two other operational things that I think that MSP also needs to, to, to do. One is, Jason alluded to it as well, is train not only your own folks, but your customers. I think the end customers and the employees at the end customer organizations need to be offered and MSPs will do a really good service for themselves if they show their customers that they would that they're offering them to do training like employee training not to get fished um, that's a really important thing and then secondly I think um, updating the MSPs legal agreements you know your service agreements I think they in addition to getting in you know insurance policy but uh, also making sure that your service uh, contracts are up to date and you're mitigating your own risk um, so that your customer doesn't say, well, you're the MSP and I relied on you to make sure this doesn't happen, so I'm gonna sue you and you're responsible for this uh, happening to me. So you gotta, and and you know, to your question here is what would you do to a customer? You know, what are the things you need to tell a customer is you need to, you need to point out to them that there are clauses, there's language in your agreements with them that you know, um, mitigates your risk from doing that. There is a positive obligation on the customer to make sure that they are mitigating their own risk as well. You know, having an MSP as a service writer doesn't mean you get to absolve yourself of responsibility and uh, and all risk. An MSP is there to help you, but not, you know, they're not your priest, so to speak. Yeah. Um, from this right. stuff, right? Good point. And if Aaron, if I may add, um, developing an incident response plan would put all that into perspective because then you know how to react in the situation 
and who all the stakeholders you have to connect with and all the contractual obligations that may be in there, as well as all the people on your call list, like your lawyers, your insurance brokers, um, and, uh, and others, and including myself, hopefully at the bottom, um, because we always recommend getting backup from backups and not paying a ransom. Um, I, I wish that I wasn't in this business. And, uh, and there wasn't ransom being paid, but it's the state of the world we're in now. All right. So, Aaron, good advice. I think all the MSPs need to be doing those steps. Um, let's let's ass- I, here's an assumption. I think most MSPs probably have not been through a ransomware event. I don't know what the statistics are, but I'm pretty sure we haven't yet reached a critical mass where you know you know well well above the you know the majority above 50% have actually experienced it so let's start with some basics um, and jason the questions to you how does an msp know either directly involving their internal data or on behalf of their clients data how do they know if the data has a just a, a standard encryption lockup of the data or versus a exfiltration with a blackmail um, you know threat looming is there a way to tell let me unpack that. So the way to tell that you have gotten hit by ransomware is that all your data will likely be encrypted with a suffix that doesn't make sense. It's not a .doc and a PPT and a SQL Server suffix. Um, and you'll probably see one text file available on the desktop that has been kindly left. You remember the old ransom notes? Well, these are the virtual data ones. And they say that we've hacked your system this is business, we are um, asking for a ransom payment. And there'll be some more information about that, including a unique identifier and a website to go to. Uh, The more ransomware as a service uh, organized uh, groups now are becoming very professional. And uh, you can go to those sites to get more information about um, how much a ransom is, when the deadline is before they uh, either, and this may say double the ransom or uh, take other steps. So assuming money is the issue, they're going to leave a note is, is your point. Correct. Okay. Now, Aaron, you and I talked a lot, I think maybe one or two episodes ago, and we discussed the issue of, of these new types of attacks where they are exfiltrating the data. They are, they're living and owning the system for a long period of time, learning about your organization before they even make a move. Are, are there, Obviously, good backups, redundant, multiple redundant, you know, um, with air-gapped versions can be very helpful in these situations. Um, But but these are potentially going to be on the increase, correct? That's right. So air-gapping is a good practice, but it doesn't prevent from uh, the malware um, basically seeping in and infecting the actual repositories, even if it's the repository that's air-gapped. And the reason is, is because these these bad guys they kind of they, they put a time delay, and they know that during that time delay, um, the copy of the ransomware is going to make it into the air-gapped copy. So even if your initial network connected backup has been deleted and they'll try to do that. They'll assume that you have an air-gapped copy, but when you go and grab that air-gapped copy and start to recover from it, the ransomware is in that air-gapped copy already, and you're going to be restoring the ransomware 
right back, like sticking the syringe right back into your neck. And then, um, you know, maybe that's not a good example these days, but uh, putting the virus kind of back, back into your environment. Or maybe I shouldn't have said syringe. I would have said like this cough with this giant, you know, uh, uh, not to get so dramatic. But yeah, that that you're putting the ransomware right back in, and this is the loop that they're trying to get into it. So right. um, yeah, you need to shore up your backups. Just having an air gap is not enough, and just having a regular another copy is not enough. Okay, Jason. Um, the attack has happened. It's confirmed. There's a letter, uh, there's, there's notice of some sort. Um, the next steps are, we, we, we did what Aaron suggested. We go back, uh, to the, the data backup and let's say, let's, let's use the worst case scenario. They've exfiltrated the data and now they're threatening to release it. So it's not a data restoration issue. It is a preventing the data from getting out there. I asked a, a retired special agent from the FBI, and they they recommend not paying. But in this situation, what what advice would you give to an MSP or a client that is faced with data that they do not want out there? And right. how do they trust these people? That's my. I think that's my first question: is can they be trusted? Sure. So Charles, they may not initially exfiltrate and share and release any data. Um, if, if you are going to pay the ransom, uh, you'd hope that there is honor amongst thieves and that if they said, if you pay the ransom, we will be done with you. You hope that they won't reoccur. You hope that they're not still in your network and you hope that they won't release any data. So before assuming that there has been an exfiltration of data and that it will be released, I think it's key that you talk to your, your team of advisors and, and put together what's called an incident response team. And that's going to include your legal advisor. It's going to include your insurer. And it's going to include an expert like myself uh, at Cypher. Because um, what you don't want to do is start having discussions and responding to the ransom without having a strategy. So take a deep breath. Get your IT managed service provider team to look at the state of the backups. Get all the information you can. You may not know at this point in time, because your data has been encrypted, whether um, they're still in the system, how they got in there, um, and, and all the rest of the forensic information that uh, the companies that we work with, like a Cytelligence, would come in and work uh, to find out why and make sure and do a system audit and help with the data remediation and to prevent it and pen test. Um, before any of that, you got to ask yourself, what does my insurance policy cover? What's my downtime? What's my risk? What's the opportunity cost here? Um, I agree the FBI has a position and some law enforcement say don't pay, but then they'll also say if you are being held hostage as an organization and you're going to be down for a significant period of time to be able to get back up from backups that may be old or to rebuild servers and rebuild databases that would succumb your business to potential bankruptcy or not being able to respond to business and other contracts, then some will say you got to do what's in the interest of the business, and that's a business decision. Yeah. So, Aaron, I I don't want to put you on the spot. I bet you you also have legal training, and I'm going to ask Jason the same question. But is there a reason? These are all situations where a legitimate crime has been committed, right? Under U.S. law, under Canadian law, right? There there are provincial, state, federal laws prohibiting this type of behavior. What is the role of law enforcement in this and should they be consulted? And at what point should they be consulted in this post-breach series of events? 
Well, my opinion is you got it. You have to. It's one of the people you go to law enforcement, and law enforcement has been, you know, quite good about making it easy to get a hold of them and and identifying who to talk to. There, you don't just call nine one one, but there's, you know, uh, there's places in the law enforcement community that you go and you talk to. So, um, absolutely, my opinion is to go and tell them about it. They may know a heck of a lot more than you do. Yeah, good point. Uh, Jason, yeah. what's your thought? Yeah, they, and they, they may have access to free decryption keys and, and organizations like No More Ransom, which started in Europe and has a number of uh, partners in North America, uh, have been uh, cracking uh, ransomware and providing free decryption keys. So we always recommend to try and find out as much as you can about the threat actors, as much as you can about the kind of variant to share information amongst um um, different providers to find out what the best strategy is. Um, but remember, the clock is ticking, right? And law enforcement may deal with it as a criminal case, but they may not help you to get your data. And that's the concern. All right. So that's that's our last uh, kind of major topic area. So I'm trying not to use too many movie references because that's where, like all the good ransom, you know, stories typically appear in, in, in movies these days, it seems like. All right. So I have a question about, right, we, we've now confirmed the breach. We now know that they are have the data or are going to release the data and they're willing to give it back or not do something in exchange for payment. Do they just take a check? Probably not. How, what's the mechanism for actually doing this type of a transaction? Question right. to you, Jason. So, so in the old days in the movies, you would have a box of unmarked bills behind an alley <laughs> in, the, in the dead of night under cover of night, so to speak. Um, cryptocurrencies has made it really easy for transactions to happen um and you know you're now the cfo of a ransom company and you're trying to find bitcoin you're trying to find privacy coins like monero and the thieves know um that they that they can get a virtual currency and that makes it a lot easier uh, with the click of a button and a transfer to an electronic wallet uh, they've been paid and so that's where we come in to help um to procure um, cyber um, so cryptocurrencies, sorry, in, in whatever denomination, whatever currency form they need. We do it quite quickly. We work with a lot of brokers um, who can transact. And then we help to make that payment into the wallets. Um, but I, I have to say, before any payment is made, we do some sanctions checks. We do some research and intelligence. We want to make sure for anti-money laundering reasons and OFAC checks that we can try and find it as much as we can. Um, before we make a transaction. And we confirm always with the client that they're okay and that's the last resort to make that payment. Um, so then your question is what happens? We then make a payment and we work to build goodwill before the payment is there. The reason why you wanna have negotiation is you wanna make sure that we know the price, that they're not gonna try on and say, oh, that's great. Thank you very much for the $100,000. But in fact, it was 200 because you didn't establish rapport. So there's a risk in not negotiating that you haven't established um, and created a handshake, so to speak, um, and know that the transaction is going to be consummated. Having made the payment, we then ask for the decryption keys. And we, we need to test those keys in a safe environment uh, to make sure they're not malicious in a sandbox before we'll give them back to um, the IT um, uh, uh, project manager that we're working with to then start decrypting their environment. In, in your opinion, what what is the 
you don't have to give an exact number, but generally speaking, what is the average number of deals where they actually do follow through with their word? They, they got the payment and then they do what was pledged or, or agreed upon. It depends on the ransomware strain um, and certain variants. Um, I could say that on average, it's probably about 94, 95% of the time. The most recent strains, the Sodnikovi, uh, Revel uh, variant, they, they are paying. This is business. They'll tell you right outright. We don't want your data. We don't really care for your data. But if you pay us, we will honor the deal. And um, so, so keys are, are are being given. But but we always coach and recommend that our clients understand the risk. The risk that they don't get the decryption keys, but also the risk that their data may not be decrypted 100%. And as we all know, when we're running backups, if you've got very deep um, directories or very long file names, or you've got very specific, unique. Um, file um, versions from uh, custom codes or software accounting or CRM programs or, or files that may have been opened when they actually encrypted your environment, there is a risk that not all your data will get um, decrypted. And, and, and I think the conversion rates are average about 97%. So, so, so yeah. the odds are that they're, they're in business, they're, they're, they don't want to have a reputation of not giving it back because then no one's going to pay in the future, right? I mean, that that's, stands to reason. It's marketing, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Aaron, it's hard to believe, but this is the world we live in, right? MSPs and their clients. It is. It is. And, I, and I think, you know, talks like this and, and, and the information that MSPs need to come to the table with, um, you know, a lot, um, you know, of, of armed with intelligence and armed with processes that can help their customers navigate through this. But... Like I said at the outset, you know, prevention is way cheaper than having to pay that hundred thousand dollars. I don't know, maybe Jason can tell what is the typical. Uh, uh, you know, we're not talking about three thousand dollar ransoms now, right? These are right. these right. are larger things that you're yeah, getting. Well, yeah, it was about three, four thousand, maybe three, four years ago. Uh, last quarter, um, the amounts had gone up by about thirty-three percent. The average now is in Canadian dollars about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars ransom. Wow. Um, wow. It was about 80 to 100 uh, US, uh, so about 115 Canadian, and it's just gone up 33%. I mean, cyber criminals are taking advantage of this environment right now in COVID and everyone working from home. So it, it, it seems like, gentlemen, just to wrap up our, our, our discussion for today, that these are this is reality, right? It's it's non-discriminatory, right? They, they're going after everybody. MSPs need to be diligent and they need to I think, Aaron, your point was spot on. They need to educate their customers and rebalance their portfolio if those customers aren't listening and changing their behavior. But one last quick comment or question to both of you. Is this preventable? Um, maybe I'll go first. I, I don't think it's necessarily preventable, regrettably, I have to say that, because if you're an MSP and you have a hundred or multiple of hundreds or thousands of customers, one of those customers is going to get hit because there are thousands of end users across that. And I think it's very hard to prevent it. So I think it's safer to operate under the assumption is that it's not preventable, hundred percent preventable. Um, and you need to have this kind of plan and know what you're doing and be the professional that your customers can rely on. And then when you're able to help them, that's, that's a good news story. That's, um, you know, uh, something to, 
to talk about with your other customers that you've got the experience and you know who to go to to get, you know, the help. Jason, final word? Yeah, yeah I would add, uh, that's right. Um, you know, no cyber technology or best practice can be 100% and there's always potential for human and technology in the area there. But your response can be proactive. How you're going to train your teams to respond, God forbid something happens, and who you're going to have on the team and the experts like Cypher that you're going to have available and how you react in a crisis, that's exactly where MSPs will shine. And ones that have not thought about this um, will will have concerns and, and their clients um, have to come back up. They've got to get to the operational again. That's the focus when I, when I deal with clients. And there's a considerable amount of anxiety. Everybody has to help the client reduce the anxiety and get back to normal. Wow. A sobering but extraordinarily important topic. I wish I had a couple more hours with with each of you because I think that, that there's a lot of information, a lot of discussion that needs to take place. But that'll have to do it for today. Jason Kotler from Cypher, Aaron Farrigan from Asigra, thank you both for being on the program today. Thank you, Charles. Thanks for having us. All right, folks, that's it for today's MSP Zone. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. If you have a comment, we would love to hear from you. Uh, either way you come out on this issue, it's it's an important issue, but we love your comments. Send in your questions. Um, you know, Make your voice heard. Uh, it's definitely an important discussion point for you internally and for your customers. Until next time, this is Charles Weaver. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a like. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you will get notified when future episodes are released. We will see you next time in the MSP Zone.